Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I'm going to dive right into it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Philippians chapter 3, which is our book of the month. Philippians chapter, uh, the book of Philippians. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, these verses will be on the screen. But don't forget, technology could go down at any point. And so, if, if you're one of those Bible... Uh, people, listen, I love reading my Bible on pages. I have never, I don't own a Kindle. I've never read a book on Kindle or what, what, what are, I don't even know what the na- other names of the devices are. I think Kindle was the first one. But I love looking at the pages of the Word of God holding this book in my hands. It is, it is a life source for me and for all who will turn to it. We're going to turn to it this morning, and I'm going to ask you to do what I all, often ask you to do, Try to stay focused. Try to lock in. Try to pay attention to what God has to say. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Focus on this one thing. Say one thing. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. God, I thank you for your word and I pray that as we look to your word today that you would be our teacher by your spirit. God, I ask you to anoint me to say the things that would honor you and give us all ears to hear what you're saying today. Lord, I pray that you drive out distraction, God. I pray that you would drive out thoughts of everything beyond you and let us focus on you. We dedicate and consecrate this time to you now, God, and we ask you to let us hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Focus on this one thing. Uh, let, me, let me start by saying life is hard. Two people said amen. Uh, I, w- I want to speak to the rest of y'all before you leave today, and I want you to explain to me how you don't realize that life is hard because, you know, they make medication for insanity, and you might need to get on some. That's kind of a joke, but kind of serious. Um, let, let, let me say this again for all the people who are awake. Life is hard. It really is. And, and there's a lot to concentrate in, on, on life. And uh, there's a lot of things you can concentrate on that could take your attention away from the big things. I remember uh, one, one of my favorite people in life. He was my first ever youth pastor. He went on uh, to uh, be, be a uh, teaching pastor, and his name was Jim Law. And one of the greatest messages I ever heard Pastor Jim Law preached was, let's keep the main thing the main thing. And if you could let that be your guiding light, if you could let that be your your constant thought that you need to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, see, the main thing is not whether or not Georgia was going to beat Alabama for the national championship. But how many of y'all know some people focused on that really heavy? And if you think that all of Alabama wasn't focused on that, then you've never been around anybody from Alabama. The main thing is not whether or not you have a better coupon clipping selection than the other people in your coupon clipping club. That's not the main thing. The main thing is not how good or bad you look, how big or small you drive, or what other people think about you. I hope you've come at least far enough in your Christianity to understand that Jesus is, was, has been, and always will be the main thing for God's people. And we need, we need, to, we need to focus on things that point us to Christ because everything is, 
is vying for your attention. Everything outside of God is trying to draw you away from God. The television trying to draw you away from God. Technology trying to draw you away from God. Now, I like technology. Um, if, if you were to look at my weekly update on my iPhone, you would be like, dude needs to put his phone down. Uh, my, my iPhone report says that I spend between 14 and 17 hours a day on my phone. And I'm glad to say most of that time is spent in study and in research. I, I like technology because it makes it easy to toggle between different books and different study guides and different versions of the Bible that help me in my preparation and in my study. But when I read this, I thought, well, that's one of the things that I've read uh, in, in the secular world that I probably believe in. Do you know, I've told you this before, but some of y'all were asleep. Do you know what the two most things, do you know what two things consume over 85% of all internet usage? Number one, God slash spirituality. Anybody know what the second one is? Uh, Deacon Scott just blurted out porn. That doesn't mean that's, that's, that's his thing. But I do notice he's sitting a half chair away from his wife. So, um, <laughs> wow. Okay, well, praise the Lord. And pass the cornbread. I don't know what's going on. But uh, you heard me quote the statistics before. But that made me think, wow. If 85-plus percentage of all minutes spent on the internet, and this isn't just one person, one site that reported this. This is a long-standing truth about the internet. I thought, well, maybe we could do away with this thing. But extra, extra, read all about it. If you haven't figured it out yet, this interwebs thing, it's around to stay. Um, yeah, Al Gore did not invent it, but it's sure here to stay. And I hope that uh, you don't let technology draw your mind away from God. We need to use things to pull our hearts and our minds closer to God. Our focus for 2022, for this year, is knowing God and making Him known. Knowing God and making Him known. You should desire to know God better, more deeply. The Bible says that God wants to take His children from glory to glory. That's one level of uh, understanding, living and applying His glory to the next level, and that God wants us to make Him known throughout the earth. So we want to know Him better, and we want to make Him known to those around us. Our book of the month in Philippians, Paul talks about knowing God more closely. Now, I wish that I had three gallons of sodium pentothal um, and enough nurses in the room. How, how, many, how many people in here not just think you could do it uh, because you did it before when you weren't supposed to, but how many people in the room, anybody in the room medically uh, qualified to inject people in their arm? Three. Uh, I, I, if we had enough people and enough sodium pentothal, I'd love to get you all laced up on some truth serum and get you to admit the real truth. I'd love you to, to have to take the time and truly answer this question. Do you want to know God closer? More, do you want to know him more? Do you want to understand him better? Because I don't take for granted that just because you're in church this morning that there is a true heartbeat inside you that says, as Paul said, I want to know him. I don't know that it's the consuming desire of your life because the reality is America over the last 40 years has embraced, accepted, pushed and promoted Sunday morning go to church over Monday morning living for God. And, and they've created the world's largest, some of the world's largest churches and the greatest production in the history of the, the body of Christ. We've got churches right now that are, are singing the paint off the walls. We've got churches that invest. I know one church in our city that has over a million dollars in their lighting and in their sound. Uh, I'd just like to have $150,000 to get this building finished next door. 
They, they, they can sell too. I was, I was praying last night, uh, walking through uh, the building praying, and I looked at these speakers uh, that we had since um, uh, we got in our, fir- in our second year of ministry. So we've had these speakers for 19 years, the, these two keyboards. And let me tell you what, when we started this church in uh, June of 2001, that Korg was the top of the line. We got Victor hiding over here behind bushes and screens, uh, not knocking on these keys. Uh, Have you figured out yet, Victor, that this is no longer the top of the line keyboard in in the keyboard world today? A couple years after we got that Korg, and this was about 17, 18 years ago, we thought, man, we need to step up. We need to get that digital Yamaha. We need to get that MOA. And that was the top of the line 17 years ago. And these speakers, these these Mackie active speakers, oh, they were the rage of the world in, in the early 2000s but but here's here's what we haven't done we haven't plowed a million dollars into lighting lighting and sound because we believe that souls are more important than church production and promotion but we we've got to get to the place where even here where where that's what we teach and that's what we say we embrace we've got to get to the place where we stay focused on being all that God wants us to be Doing all that God wants us to do. Because if, if you don't believe this, if you haven't realized that this is happening to you, let me say it for you plainly. The world is drawing Christians' attention away from Christ. Television, technology, friends, family, hobbies, everything can draw your attention away from Christ. And if you ask me, well, Pastor, do you believe all those things are wrong? Should, should we not uh, engage in, in anything other than just prayer and Bible study, uh, well, we'd be better off if that's all we engaged in. But I believe, like the great author Watchman Nee said in his book, Do All for the Glory of God, that when an employer gives you a break, it's not to make you more lazy. It's so you can come back refreshed and work harder than you worked in the last hour. When, when, when you get to take your time off, when you get to jump off the tractor and sit inside some air conditioning for a few minutes, it's not so you can lay down and sleep away the rest of the day. It's so that you can get refreshed, encouraged, refocused, and come back and do better. And if you would learn how to use things outside of God's Word and His ministry as just a break for focusing you to do better, your life would take on greater meaning. Paul's talking about in the book of Philippians, knowing God more closely. We looked last week at at some of these things. Uh, Let me just give you a recap real quick. In verse 5 through 7 of chapter 3, he gives his personal background. And let me tell you, Paul had an extraordinary past. He had an upbringing that was second to none. He had a pedigree that was second to none. He had a resume that was second to none. Paul is that individual that God was... Uh, was talking about when he said not many mighty, no noble, or wise people God has called. God typically, uh, according to his word, calls the lesser things unto himself. Do you know what that makes us? See, this is why proud people can't come to God. This is why people counting on their money, their education, their power, their performance can't come to God because they think that they don't need him. I was listening to Alistair Begg this morning, and he said plainly that Poverty is a blessing because poverty typically causes people to look to God more than money while affluence causes people to look to money more than God. And, and, and Paul was that exception to the rule when God said not many. Paul was in that not many. He was mighty. He was noble. He, he was wise uh, it, before Christ. He had, he had it going on like butter and cheese, and he gives his background. But in verse 7 of Philippians 3, he says this, I once thought these things were valuable. He was talking about his, his, his ethnicity, his, his um, accomplishments, his pedigree, his background. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I want to tell you, if you ever really get your eyes open to who Jesus Christ is, everything in life will take on less valuable meaning to you compared to him. 
And God, and God said of himself that if you don't hate everything else in comparison to me, you're not loving me good enough. And I wish that you'd take some time and to just take a personal inventory because we don't have time or enough honesty in here to get it out of you. What is it that you love the most? If you had to write down, now see all, all the religious people in the room, all the people been in church for a long time, well, God number one, are you sure? How, how, do, you, how do you really justify saying God number one? What do you spend your, your time and your energy on? What takes up your mental focus? What, what do you spend time thinking about the most? What do you spend time working towards the most? Paul was, was, uh, had a lot going on before Christ, but once he got his eyes on Christ, he said, man, the, I used to think those things were valuable, but now I see them as worthless. He went on to say in verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you, do you feel that way? Do you feel like the score of the game is, is, uh, uh, is worthless compared to knowing God better? Do you feel like everything, everybody else you know, do you know, uh, I've told you this before, it's statistical fact, it's been agreed on for hundreds of years, men and women are different. Now, we've got an entire group of people. We've got an entire uh, agenda of far extremists uh, in America who want to teach that men aren't and women aren't different. And if I want to identify as a woman, I can identify as a woman like that man swimmer identifying as a woman who is now currently rewriting all the swimming records for women swimming. And if they continue with this mad foolishness, some man's going to put on a dress and rewrite all the women's tennis records. And some man is going to put on a dress and rewrite all the women's golf records. Listen, men and women are different. Men and women are different, and it doesn't matter. It, all these weirdos talking about, well, I, I finally accepted the fact that for all of my life, I had been a woman trapped inside a man's body. You need therapy. You don't need to go change your clothes. You need therapy. There is a difference between men and women, and experts have agreed for centuries that women primarily value relationships. Women tend to focus more on their relationships. Women tend to get more of their self-worth and personal identification through positive relationships with their family, with their friends, um, co-workers, and men tend to value success in their profession over everything else. So whether or not you're a man who, who is uh, being sidetracked by trying to be good at what you do, or if you're a woman who can be sidetracked by focusing on having the best relationships in the world, I'm not saying either one of those two things are bad, but I'm saying when you compare it to knowing God, those things ought to pale in comparison. He, he went on to say in verse 9, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's the whole truth of Christianity right there. People, people have been trying for years to get to God. And I love the way one person said it. Religion is man attempting to reach up and grab hold of God. But Christianity is, in fact, God reaching down to man to grab hold of him. And Paul was in a religion that was trying to live right enough to gain acceptance by God, but he realized God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He went on in verse 10 to say, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. These are the verses that led us up to our text today, and you can get the message from last week on that because we all need to value Christ higher than our relationships. We all need to value Christ higher than our possessions. We all need to value Christ higher than our performance on our job and our ethnicity and our political party. But let's jump into verse 12, the first verse in our text this morning. Philippians 3.12 says, Here's Paul talking. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved those things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. 
That is some wordy speak. That is a lot to unpack in one verse. This is why theologians, if you read commentaries, if you read what theologians say about the book of Philippians, it is the most formal of Paul's letters to other churches. It, it has a writing style that, that has a greater depth of theology in it, and that's a lot being said in verse 12. But first thing I want you to know is that Paul, when he says, I haven't achieved all that God wants, I haven't reached perfection, uh, he, he's saying he's still a work in progress. Uh, I wonder if you fit into that category today. Now, I think a lot of people would admit that they're a work in progress whether they know Christ or not. I think a lot of people would admit that they're a work in progress whether they've truly been born again or not. But I'm not talking about a work in progress as a human being. I'm talking about a work in progress as a child of God. To, to be a work in progress as a child of God implies that at one point you were born into God's family. The, the, the Bible says that, that God gives power to people who believe in Christ to become children of God. There's got to be a starting point for you in your Christianity. And a lot of people have missed this one simple truth. You, you, you weren't born saved. You, you haven't been a Christian all your life. The Bible said you had to become a child of God. So Paul had a real experience with the living God. I hope you've had a real experience, a life-changing, soul-saving, eternity destiny-changing experience with the Word of God. But that, that salvation, it's just the starting point. So let me just get this out of the way this morning. Have you truly started your new life in Christ? Because if you haven't yet been born again, if you haven't yet started on this new life with Christ, if you're just trying to be a better person, if you're just trying to learn more facts and informations about religion, then you're not truly saved yet. you got to get saved to absorb what God is teaching here. He knew he was a work in progress. Listen to this. He knew he was not perfect. And so I, I want to ask you, do you know, number one, that you're a work in progress? And do you know, number two, that you're not perfect? Now, we, we say amen to that and people nod their heads, but I can't tell you the number of times that I've had somebody in a counseling situation or just in a conversation say to me, oh, well, don't get me wrong, Pastor, I'm not perfect. That sounds crazy for you to say that out loud to me because here's, here's a news flash for you. I never thought you were. I never thought I was. I never thought anybody other than Jesus. If you've ever heard, said out of your mouth, well, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Um, unless you're the Apostle Paul, then you have a highly overvalued yourself greatly. That, that, that is, a, that is a, a exposure of your own level of, of assumption that anybody would believe that you th even think that you're perfect. Can, can we admit we're not perfect? Paul, Paul's saying, I'm not there yet. And he's saying this because the people in Philippi loved him so much. He had invested in them so much, and they had invested in him so much. They, they were following what God was teaching. They were honoring their pastor, they, they were giving him double honor over everyone else, uh, and, and they knew that he truly followed God, but he wanted to make sure that they knew he is not the standard. And I want to tell you this, neither myself nor any other preacher in the world is or ever has been the standard for the child of God. Jesus Christ is our standard, and we need to learn how to respect people without putting them on a pedestal. We need to learn how to honor people without seeing them as all that and a bag of chips because I've been telling you forever that I'm a work in progress and I've got a long way to go. i got a way longer way to go than the Apostle Paul had, and hear me good, so do you. So, so don't get in your mind. You, you don't have, here's something that's going to help you all. You don't have to tell people, well, I, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. What you're doing is you're building yourself up so high that you're scared that you've made that person think that you think you're perfect. If you ever said that to somebody, you need to realize, oops, I was thinking too high of myself to even have to make that statement. I've never told anybody, I'm not saying I'm seven foot four. 
When I say I'm five foot nine and a half, it's only because the army measured me flat-footed at five ten, and as all old men do, I've shrunk. Uh, but I've I've never said out of my mouth when when I say I jokingly say five foot nine and a half because here's the reality: every man I've ever met that told me he was five foot nine was three inches shorter than me, except Elder Jimmy. How tall are you? On the money, and, and see, Elder Jimmy and I. Uh, we're the exact same height. It only changes based on what shoes we're wearing. Uh, now, you see, he's a couple years older than me, so his shrink is on faster than mine. So he went to wearing cowboy boots over dress shoes. So, because he's holding on to that five foot nine. But I would jokingly tell people I'm five nine and a half because we've had so many five foot seven people tell me, "Oh, I'm five nine. You must be five eleven. No. But any time I've ever said I'm five foot nine and a half, I never followed that up with, I'm not trying to tell you I'm seven foot three, because that's just ridiculous. You can look at me and know I'm not seven foot three, uh, and anybody can look at you and know you're not perfect. Paul had to say this to a group of people because they so idolized him, they so pedestaled him, they, they, they so looked at him as the end-all, be-all that God inspired him to tell them that just like them, he was a work in progress and he was not perfect. In the second part of verse 12, he says, but I press on. Say press on. Now, you might agree that you're a work in progress. You might agree that you're not perfect. But I wonder, are you pressing on? Or are you just holding steady? I wonder if you're pressing on. Or if you're just letting life beat you down. Because the life of the Christian is not meant to be affected by the world. We're meant to affect them, not have them affect us. But so many times, listen, they're, they're, if, if we just had, if we could just stop faking religion and, and, and church mannerisms and just get honest and real about where we are, there, there are people in this room that used to be closer to God than they, were there and they are now. There are people in this room that used to serve God at a higher level than they do now. There are people in this room who used to give more, serve more, live more, love more of God than they do now. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever loved God more, done more for God, if you've ever been more uh, on fire for God than you are right now at this very moment, you have slidden back. And if you have slidden back, that makes you by the definition of the word what? A backslider. And I've told you so many times, I invented this word. I've never heard anybody else use it. Um, I've told you so many times, I'm going to tell you again, we need to front slide. It, time is over for backsliding. If you believe the word of God and you believe that God has a destiny for you, you need to front slide. Paul says, I press on. And I need you to try to figure out why you're not pressing on. Are you pressing on to be more of God? More of what God wants you to be. Are you pressing on to know him better? Are you pressing on to give more, to live more, and to love more? He said, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He realized when God first laid hold of him, he didn't save him without a plan for his life. And that plan was a perfect plan. So listen, God didn't save us so we could come to church once or twice a week and call it good. God didn't send his son to this planet to be stripped naked and hung on a cruel Roman cross and be crucified so that we could just, you know, throw a little bit of change in the bucket to God every now and then and add God on the side of our life. He gave everything and he expects to reap everything in return because he's the one that said you reap what you sow. And God is looking for more. And Paul understood that. He, he, he said that I'm pressing on. I want to grow beyond where I am. Uh, I know Jesus didn't save me for no reason. He knew that when Jesus saved him, he had an agenda and a plan in mind for Paul when he first saved him. He said, I want to possess that perfection. I want to possess that plan, that relationship that God intended for me when I first got saved. Now, some people have said this to me, and it it, it just hurts my heart every time They say it, that I don't care if I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth just as long as I get there. That's a horrible way to express your your Christianity. 
You should have a desire to move closer to who God wants you to be and to lay hold of that plan that God had for you when he first saved you. Listen to verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, comma and comma. No, comma. Think about that. The man of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, to write to the entire body of Christ, all the children of God, before and in the future, the first word he wrote there is what? No. Do you know how infrequent it is for people in authority to tell people that work for them or that are under them no in today's world without being apologetic? I was listening to Bliss one time talk about um, her former job. Um, now, now let, let's get the story straight for everybody. Was you, At your former job, was the boss there anytime he had to bring correction? Did he walk on eggshells and start with apologies? What, was it hilarious and ridiculous all at the same time? He just couldn't come out and say, you guys aren't working hard enough. He had to give a, an hour-long speech of apology to even begin to address how we might all together, working as one, with him doing the bulk of the lifting, move, move just a little bit. He just wouldn't tell people no. And we got parents in this world. Well, I don't like to tell my children no because I don't want them to hate me. Well, the Bible says if you correct a fool, they will hate you. And if your child is foolish, your correction is good. But listen, Paul wasn't scared to tell his brothers and sisters in Christ, no. He's letting them know, y'all's thoughts are wrong. And I'm here to bring correction. He said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Now, I just told you the answer, but I'll rewind and let you step in to see if you're listening. Why would God inspire the Apostle Paul to tell the Christians at the church in Philippi that Paul had not achieved it. Why, why would he say that? Because they, they thought he had. They, they looked at him as, as he, he had already got to the highest level he could get to, and that was false. And he said, no, I haven't achieved it. He said, I'm pressing on, but I haven't achieved it. And this ought to be your life story. You're pressing on, but you know there's more. He said, but I focus on this one thing, colon. I've taught you for years. I'm going to keep teaching you. Always pay attention to the punctuation when you read. It will help your comprehension. He said that I, I, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He said I focus on how many things? Now, I started this message by saying life is hard, and there's a lot that we have to do in this life, but here... God gives the apostle the words to give to us to say, focus on this one thing. So here's what I'm asking you to do today, tomorrow, next month, for the rest of your life if you're saved. Slow your life down, slow your mind down, and learn how to focus on what God wants us to focus on. See, God inspired Paul to, to tell not just the church at Philippi, not just the church at Corinth, but Christians all around the world to model your life after the way he models his life. Follow him closely, because if you follow him closely, you'll be following Christ closely. He, he said, for me to live is Christ. He said, you see how I'm living? You, you, you see how Jesus lived. And Paul said, this is the one thing that I do. Now, we're talking about not getting caught up in sports, entertainment, family, friends, relationships, technology, not getting caught up in our own personal agenda, not getting caught up in our hobbies and in our habits. The way that you can do this is by focusing on this one thing. He said, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, if you read that closely, you're going to think, Paul can't count. And nobody understood why I just said what I said. If you read this verse closely, you're going to think Paul has trouble counting from one to two. Because he said, I focus on how many things? But how many things is forgetting and looking forward? Uh, see, Paul combines these two things into one purpose because he sees them as interchangeable and non-separable. These, these things go together. It is one thing. It's two aspects of the same thing. And I want us to look at them uh, one by one. The first thing he said, 
forgetting the past. Say forget. I have said it for years, and I'm going to keep saying it. One of the biggest things that can help you be everything God wants you to be is by forgetting your past. But you don't know what he did to me. Don't have to. God said forget it. But you don't know what she did to me. Don't have to. God said forget it. But you don't know what I've been through. Doesn't matter. God said to forget it. And it's not just your negative past. It's your positive past too. Some people are living so high off what they have done. Is what you have done speaking about the, the past or the future? That's speaking about your past. Well, I used to sing on a, in the choir. Well, why don't you sing in the choir now? Well, I used to serve at the church. Well, why don't you serve at the church now? Well, I used to teach, preach, deek, ush, serve, help. Well, why don't you do those things now? You need to forget all of the bad and all of the good. Because if you hold on to any of that, it begins to shape your self-image. You, you begin to fall into someone who is proud, remembering what you used to do. Listen, if you used to do things and you don't do it anymore, shame on you. Shame on you. I saw a Ronnie Coleman video uh, last night, about 3 o'clock this morning. Um, any, anybody in the room know who Ronnie Coleman is? Me, me and Elder Keon know who Ronnie Coleman is. Ronnie Coleman is one of the biggest, most uh, accomplished bodybuilders in the history of the bodybuilding world. Um, Mr. Olympia, Mr. Everything, and he was one of the first truly large men to get into bodybuilding because if you never looked at bodybuilding, most bodybuilding champions are between five foot three and five foot seven. And that doesn't sound like, you know, the manliest man that should be the best built man in the whole world. But Lou Ferrigno proved that a big man just can't win in Olympics because if you see the distance from my shoulder to my elbow, if my bicep if my, can fill that area up. If my arm is this long, that's a lot of space not being filled up. Lou Ferrigno's arm was bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms looked better because they were filled up. Bigger guys don't make great bodybuilders. That's just, a, uh, that's just not in my notes. That's just a special lesson for you to learn today. The rainy, the most, the one person who's won the most bodybuilding contest in the history of the world. Anybody who know that person is? He, go, he lives in this city. He, he went to my alma mater, Ed White High School. He was a classmate of Gail's, my wife, and he, she loved him so much she named her dog after him. Anybody know who this five foot six 215-pound all-muscle man is? What's his name? Dexter Jackson. Dexter Jackson is this tall. Dexter Jackson is barely taller than the average woman in America. The average woman in America is five foot four and a half. Dexter, barely that tall. But he won a lot of bodybuilding competitions. Now, let's get back to Ronnie. I'm looking at Ronnie last night, uh, early this morning, and he's talking about he's, he's back to working out. He's older than me. He's in his 60s, and he is, he's fat, he's flabby, he's frail, he's been through lots of physical breakdowns, but here's what he's doing. He's still running a YouTube channel, he's still promoting fitness, he's still selling uh, bodybuilding products, and he's still talking about, are you ready, what he used to be. And, but he's not that anymore. And here, here's the sad reality for those of you who base value on anything other than pressing on to being all that God wants you to be. Everything that you used to be is going to get worse with age. Mm, let me say it on this side of the room. Uncle Ken, you ain't getting no younger. See, I, I can call him out because he understands that. Now, see, we, we've been lied to. By, by current uh, culture, uh, to say that 50 is the new 30. Uh, no, it's not. 50 still 50. And 60's coming. I started the front left, let me go to the back right. Elder Jimmy spent his entire lifetime trying to be a maximum athlete. Yes or no? Played on some world-class softball teams, traveled around, uh, hung out with guys making money, getting paid to play softball, winning titles. Did that, 
Been, 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 been trying to be a great athlete from six years old. What time did you finally hang up your, your softball cleats? A, a month ago? <laughs> How old are you? 61. Now let me ask you this. Because here's the reality. Elder Jimmy can still hit a softball better than anybody in the room. Um, I, I love him in spite of what he did to me the first time he came to our church. Uh, was that softball, was that, was that uh, outdoor outing your first time coming, or had you been to this church before? So this new, this new church visitor, ain't he been through new members class? We have a, a big church family day. We're out at Ronnie Van Zant Park. We're, we're, we bounce housing, fishing. We're, we're grilling, barbecuing. And, and, and this guy, and so we're going to have a home run derby hitting contest because I know I'm going to win. Because, <laughs> you know, the competition wasn't there. And, and I spent my own level of years ch chasing baseball dreams. So he rolls up newbie over here. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't hate him for it, but it is just factual. He, uh, I did come in second place in the home run derby contest because he had to just beat me like a drum uh, and come in first. He still can hit the ball better than me and better than anybody else in the room because he chased it harder than everybody. You think you chased it harder than I did? Think you chased it harder than everybody else in this room did? Yeah, and tens of thousands of dollars tied up in travel and bats and gloves. Uh, what, what's, the average, what's a good softball bat cost these days? Yeah, most people don't have a $330. He, he, he'll get a $300 bat, use it three times, and go buy another one and give it away to somebody else. Yes or no? So that, that's, that's who he is. So let me ask you this. At 61 years old, do you run as fast as you did at 30? Do, do you hit as good as you did at 30? Do you feel as good as you did at 30? Well, isn't 60 the new, I mean, if 50 is the new 30, I mean, 60 ought to at least be, the, based on that math, the new 32. Doesn't work that way? Let me tell you something. Everything that you're focusing on that is not involved in pressing toward Christ, you eventually, hear me good, you're going to get worse at it. Let me, let me, talk, let me talk to some women out here. None of y'all want to admit it, but some of y'all out there setting thirst traps for guys. Let me tell you what. Eventually, two people just looked at each other. What's that? Looking hoish to draw a man's attention. I'm trying to help the white people in the room. What's that? Well, I'm telling you, 68% of the people in this room didn't need any context clues when I said thirst traps. Some, some, some of y'all out there putting, putting these pictures on your profiles, dressing up, going out. Uh, let me tell you something. There's going to come a day when those don't even work anymore. Uh, these, these, uh, these our time dating apps, which God's honest truth, never been on one, never, never, never even looked at our time dating apps. Uh, listen, they're struggling. How many of y'all think those 60-year-old women on our time dating apps are getting outplayed by 35-year-old women? <laughs> they are. <laughs> well, just for the record, and don't hate him for it, but your husband's sitting on the back row. He raised his hand that them 30-year-olds are out playing them 60-year-olds. Yeah. What am I telling you? Understand, pursuing God is something you can get better and better and better and better and better at. Knowing God is something that you can do more and more and more and more and more of. Everything else that would be your pursuit at some point in life, you have a downward turn on it, whether, whether it's your looks, whether it's your intelligence. How, how, how many of y'all have, uh, no, nobody wants to admit it, um, but there's a time where the mind ain't as sharp as it used to be. There, there's a time where the body's not as sharp as it used to be. People focus on making their pursuit all these things that, listen, are fading. And in contrast, pursuing God only gets better.
And we need to learn to put the main thing as the main thing. But to do that, we've got to forget the past. If you're still living in your glory years, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, you ought to only be willing to listen to so many of Elder Jimmy's uh, long-winded stories about, man, when I was 22 years old, I, 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 I was playing on a national team. We were all getting paid. Okay, where you at now, 61? That's okay to, to, to tell stories of where you've been. But if you're living in those, oh, back at my old church when I, I, when I first got saved, I was so involved. Really? Well, what about now? What, well, when, when you were in business, you, you accomplished this, that, and the other thing. You've got to learn how to move past your past. I'm going to say it again because it's revelatory. You have to learn how to move past your past because it will hold you still right where you are. It will prevent you from moving forward because you can't move forward living in the past. Not your good past or your bad past. I want to let you know something. Some of y'all need to break with your past today. Some of you did some bad things in your past. I'm one of them. You need to realize that if you're a Christian, God has forgiven you of that. I have counseled so many people that are still stuck on either the past thing that happened to them or the past thing that they were involved in. Let me tell you something. God said that he chooses to forgive our sins, cast them into the sea of his forgetfulness, and remember them no more. So I'm telling you today, we're still in January of a brand new year. We're supposed to be making new goals, new resolutions, turning over a new page. Listen, let go of your past hurts, your past problems. Let go of your past bitterness. Forgive everybody who wronged you. Quit holding on to these excuses. Well, I, I just struggle in these areas because of the way I was raised. Don't you believe God is greater than your raising? Don't you believe God is a... Don't you believe that the anointing can break every yoke that tries to hold you back? You need to let go of your, your past accomplishments, your past failures, and your past trauma. He said, this one thing I do, and, and part A is forgetting the past. I'm convinced living in the past can ruin your life. Some of you struggle forgiving people because you continue to recall what they did to you. Let that go. Move on. Turn the page. Get something new to think about. I promise you, if you begin pressing on to God, all that other stuff will wash off you. You got, you got to press on. That, and, that, and that's the second part is not just forgetting the past, but looking forward to what lies ahead. I, I, I love... Uh, well, I don't really love her. I don't know her that well. I, I admired her in the 80s. I thought, I thought she had some good concepts. Um, she may have well single-handedly ruined the first lady office, Nancy Reagan, um, because Nancy Reagan is one of the first first ladies with a national campaign. Um, and since then, every first lady since then has had a national campaign. Every first lady since then has thought that the public wanted to hear their opinion. Can I, can I tell you, nobody ever elected a first lady. But she, any, anybody remember what Nancy Reagan uh, was famous for, what her, what her national campaign was? Just say no to drugs. Just say, and, and they put a lot of government money in promoting that. Just say no to drugs. And finally, the experts, which first ladies are not expert in, in their national campaign. I mean, uh, I, I, I like Michelle Obama, but her, her national campaign was putting fruit and vegetables on the tray of kids at lunch. I can tell you, I had kids at lunch. Uh, dur during that campaign, and they, they promised me every day kids did not even make it to their tables. They stopped by the trash can. Did they stop by the trash can, Seth? And there was so much of it, he could just grab it off the top and eat it. All the millions of dollars we spent... Uh, you know, promoting fruits and vegetables to our kids. Listen, that failed at the same level Nancy Reagan's failed, but they haven't, they, uh, other than kids don't like fruits and vegetables and they just want to eat um, Italian Dunkers pizza. And uh, how many of y'all first learned the word Italian Dunkers from, from your kids? That's just Italian Dunkers. I still don't know what that is, but I know Seth ate them every day. Um, these, these, Nancy Reagan's just say no to drugs showed itself to be a useless campaign 
Because if all you do is say no to something, but you don't replace it with a, with a different alternate behavior, it, it, you just revert back to doing what you were doing. Telling a drug addict, just stop doing drugs. <laughs> that, is, that, that is as dumb as it can be. That's like touching fire and saying, I didn't think it was going to be hot. You, you can't just say no to something without adding something to it. How many of y'all remember, uh, what was that show with Telly Savalas in it? Kojak. How many of y'all remember, what, what, what did Kojak always do? He had a lollipop. Well, why was Kojak always walking around, grown, bald-headed man, in his late 50s, 60s, 80s, I don't know how old he was. When I was a kid, he looked like he was 100. Why did he always have a lollipop? Because he had quit smoking, and he needed to have something hand-to-mouth to replace it with. God is smarter than to put a campaign together. Hold off on that for me, Victor. God's smarter to put a campaign together uh, than just to say quit doing something. He said forget your past, but he knows to not go back to thinking about your past. He's got to give you something to fill your mind and your energy up with. And that's why the second part of this one thing Paul tells us to do is to look forward to what lies ahead. This is the only way to drive the past out of your mind is to fill it with thoughts of what lies ahead. Now, I don't want you to shout out. I don't want you to answer. But did you think this week about what lies ahead for you? Did you spend a lot of time focusing on the glory of heaven? Did you spend a lot of time focusing on how close you are to God now? And if you keep growing at the rate you're growing right now, how amazing it's going to be the, the, the more you learn about God between now and next year. Or did you focus on sports, entertainment, your job, your bills, your menu, what you had to buy for the house, uh, what, what you had to do for your vehicles? Listen, we got to learn how to fill ourselves up. We got to learn how to look forward to what lies ahead. In verse 14, in Philippians 3, Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Here he tells us what to press on to. He's told us before that he's pressing on. Here he tells us exactly what to press on to, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I want to ask everybody in the room something because we're a Bible teaching church and I want you to learn the truth. What is this heavenly prize? I'm going to tell you in two words, the calling. It's the calling. The calling is the prize. It's, it's the journey. It, it's the race. It's, it's what he's calling us to in the midst of the race. You can ask any commentator who's written any commentary on this verse for, for the last thousand years, and they all will tell you that grammatically the prize that this verse is talking about is the call itself. I want you to know one thing for sure. If you started your spiritual journey with salvation, God is calling you higher. God is calling you to a next level. There is an end to the race and we got to press on to the end. There's a prize to receive and the prize is the upward call. Hear me good. The call of God through Jesus Christ that God is calling us to is an upward calling. Say upward. In uh, the King James Version, in verse, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see he self-describes the prize as the high calling of God? He's pressing toward this prize, which is this high calling of God. You need to start pursuing this high call that God has placed on your life. Not only is it a high calling. The call of God through Christ Jesus that God is calling us to is an upward calling. Say upward. Uh, one, one translation says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Even in this translation, we see that the prize is this calling. It, it is uh, uh, it's a high calling. It's an upward calling. But a different translation says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Uh, no, let me give you this last one, uh, because it's also a heavenly calling. It's a high calling, it's an upward calling, and a heavenly calling. Uh, the last translation, I'm going to give you this verse in, and we're going to close, says, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. 
It is a high call. It is an upward call. And it is a heavenly calling. God is calling everybody to a higher calling. He wants to call you up to where he is. He wants to call you up to focus on the things that he focuses on. He wants to call you toward heaven. The Bible says that you either focus on natural things or heavenly things. And that as believers, we need to learn how to focus on heavenly things. But we can't press on toward this upward call until we're truly saved. You, you can't get involved in the plan God has for your life until you're truly saved. And some of you need to get truly saved today because just knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. you got to start at the starting point, which is true salvation. And we can't, as Christians, as truly saved people, we can't press on toward this upward call if we're still holding on to the past. So here's, here's what I want us to do today. Before you can focus on this one thing, which involves forgetting and looking forward, before you can look forward, you got to forget the past. And I don't know, I wish I could find out, I wish, I wish that you would muster up the strength to open your mouth and declare what that hardest thing that hurts you has been in your life. Because until you move past that hurt, you're not going to be able to look up. Until you move past that hurt, you're not going to be able to look forward. Until you move past that hurt, you're not going to press your way to where God is. So we got to get rid of the past today so we can truly start pressing on. I would love it if you'd participate in this. I know in my spirit that everybody wouldn't. But if you ever had a desire to move higher in Christ, if you ever had a desire to know him more, you're going to have to zero in and target in on some things in your past that have held you back. Some things that were done to you that you need to let go of and realize you survived it, you're still living, move on. So some things that, that hurt you, you're going to have to let go of that. Some of you won't let go of that because you, you've rehearsed it so many times. You've told it to so many people. It's become your identity. But God didn't save you so your identity could be found in your past hurts. He wants you to move past your past hurts. We can't press upward if we're still holding on to the past. I love this one hymn so much. I, I, I typed up all the words to it. And I'm going to read you the words of this hymn. And then we're going to get out of here. The hymn writer said, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's tableland, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till rest I've found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Come on, Victor, play something for me. Music soothes the savage Christian. And I want you to get your mind in a position where your desire is as the hymn writer desire was. I want to move to higher ground. Everything else is so petty, y'all. I've had so many people tell me what their past church did to them. They haven't let that go. There are people out here in the world that used to go to Abundant Life telling folk what their past church did to them. They haven't let that go. There are people talking about what happened to them as children? They haven't let it go. Now, I'm not saying you can move on past what really happened in your life. That's part of your story. But you can move on from the pain of it if you'll let God take it away. And you can't press your way to higher ground still clutching on to the past. So if you're not saved, you need to call up to God for salvation. And if you are saved, you, God is calling you up. For a higher level of living. I wish people could be more open in church. More transparent. More honest. Because if you be honest. You're not where God wants you to be. You're not doing all that God wants you to do. You're still distracted. You're still dealing with natural things. Well Pastor Scott. We got to keep the bills paid. Yeah. But we don't have to let that be our focus. We can trust in God. 
Well, I got to raise these kids. Yeah, I know that. But that shouldn't be your focus. Your focus should be pressing up to higher ground. And if you have any desire in your heart, as the true saints of God have, to move beyond this natural realm to a higher calling, that's the prize God is calling you to. A higher calling, an upward calling, a heavenly calling. If you have any desire, how cool would it be if you could wake up with Jesus on the brain? How cool would it be if he just stayed at the center of your mind all day long? It can happen. And this is why people need to put, turn the television off and read more of God's word. Read about the saints in God's word and how they transitioned from who they were to God chasers. Read biographies about great men and women of God who let God be their every focus and see how God took them up to a higher calling. Because one day, we're all going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account for the lives that we lived. Saved people and lost people. People, people think, well, now that I'm saved, at least God's not going to judge me. Yes, He is. There's a judgment for the believer. The Greeks called it the Bema judgment. And in English, we call it the judgment seat of Christ. And if you don't learn to put your past behind you, that's going to be a horrible experience for you at the Bema seat. It's going to be horrible. Paul was fearful of going to the judgment seat of Christ. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to live lives that honor God. When you stand before God, the Bible says we're all naked before him with whom we have to do. There's going to be no excuses. There's, no, there's not going to be, listen, one of the great things about, one of the great things for pastors and parents about the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody's going to be able to blame their pastor for anything that they didn't do that God was calling them to do. And nobody's going to be able to blame their parents. Because I tell you, the devil loves to work on my mind. I know I should have been a better pastor over these last 40 years of my life. And I know I should have been a better parent over these last 20 plus years of my life. But here's the reality. These, these are thoughts that are common to all parents and to all pastors. But let me tell you something, children of God, you're not going to be able to blame your Christian leaders for your deficiencies at the judgment seat of Christ. And let me, let me tell everybody, you're not going to be able to blame your parents for the life you lived at the judgment seat of Christ. You have an opportunity today. You have an option today. You can truly say, God, help me to forget my past, successes and failures, and start building on this upward call today. Start moving toward a life where God plants your feet on higher ground. I know there are people in this room that really love God. And you want to move closer to God. It's not like a corn maze. It's not hard to figure it out. All you have to do is be sincere and ask God. He said he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And I want us today, this week, this month, over the course of this fast, over the course of this year, over the course of the rest of the time we have left, I want those of us who are truly saved to desire higher ground, to desire more closeness to God, to desire to walk in our heavenly calling. God's got a calling for you. God saved you for a purpose. And it has nothing to do with your worldly accolades, but it has everything to do with His glory and advancing His kingdom. And I want to ask you today, Put your past behind you and start looking forward to the things that God would have you look forward to. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your instruction. Thank you for inspiring your servant Paul to tell us what the one thing to do is. Forget the past and look forward to what you called us to. Lord, I pray that you would give us all a very tangible awareness 
of the things that you've called us to. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Loving you and loving others. Forgiving as we've been forgiven. Loving the way you love us. And living in the now. Help us, God, to pursue you more. Lord, I pray you'd give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. God, for every person in the room who's not saved, I pray that you'd save them and let them embrace your high calling. Thank you, God, for having a destiny for us. It's mind-blowing that you would even know our name. It's mind-blowing that you would have a personal plan for us. But you declare in your word that you do. So, God, I pray that you would help us move beyond everything that distracts us and to focus on the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to focus on you more than we focus on other things. Help us to pursue you more than we pursue other things. God, I pray that you would set our souls on fire for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.